Make plans now to attend this year's Rising Tide Festival, a family-friendly showcase of Atlantic Canadian talent taking place throughout the Fundy region. Enjoy waves of wellness at the Hopewell Rocks, tunes and tales at the Albert County Museum, pedals and pints in Sussex, and so much more. Musical acts include Chris Kolpaw, The Divorcees, Tomato Tomato, and many more. Get the full list of events with times, ticket information, and more by following Rising Tide Festival on Facebook. That's the Rising Tide Festival happening August 7th through 11th in beautiful southeastern New Brunswick. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jenna Morton and I'm Tosh Taylor and we are at the Hopewell Cape Community Hall. Today we're actually talking about a major part of the history of Albert County with the assistant manager of the Albert County Museum. This is Brooklyn Wilkins. Brooklyn, thanks for joining us. No problem, it's my pleasure. So we are gonna be talking about the Acadians here in Albert County, which some of you may be like, what? Acadians in Albert County? I don't think a lot of people put the two together anymore mm -hmm. and I am so thrilled that you guys do that here at the museum and that you're going to share some of that history with us today. Yeah, so I'm actually half Acadian myself. My mom's a Robbie show so growing up I was always surrounded by the French culture and got to know just a little bit about the Acadians. But I didn't really know much about the Acadians in Albert County specifically until I actually started working here. Uh, so yeah, the Acadians first arrived here at around the 1655, if I'm not mistaken, um, when Jacques Cartier, who was one of the first settlers of just New Brunswick and Nova Scotia in general, uh, legend has it he was sort of sailing down the Bay of Fundy and he saw the mount, the peak of uh, Shepardy Mountain and he just exclaimed, oh, c'est le cap de Dieu, which means cap of God. That's sort of where Shepardy got its name for Shepardy and Chippity Mountain. Yeah. Uh, Chip de Dieu, cap de Dieu. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I like that. So after him, the settlers sort of branched out a little, and the first settler we have of this region is actually Pierre Thibodeau. So Pierre Thibodeau came in here, like I said, around 1655, and he settled right at the base of Shepardy Mountain and made the first settlement there. From there, and actually due to this one settlement, it's because of him that we had so many other Acadian villages start up. Everything from Hillsborough, which was the village d'Amblachard, to Moncton, Memram Cook, all of those Acadian villages were able to be formed because of Pierre Thibodeau establishing the first one here in Albert County. That is amazing. I'm sure there are so many people listening and watching right now that are like, what did she say? Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing that you have the historical records to be able to tell these stories. Yeah, and actually most Acadian families go back to roughly the same 70 names. And although I don't have them all memorized off Clearly. the top of my head, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's at least 12 of them that were founded here in Elbert County. That's amazing. And yeah. So what happened next? Once the settlers were here, there were communities, you know, thriving communities yeah. here and all throughout the area. We know that <laughs> didn't stay that way. Hold on, no. before we go there, hold on, hold on, before yeah. we go to the expulsion. <laughs> We need to talk about the dikes because they yes. did something extremely amazing to help filter the salt water. Yeah, so the Acadians actually, they took a huge, huge part in the agricultural industry in Elbert County and just in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia in general. 
what they did is they took this French invention called the dikes and brought them down and they took the marshlands, which were previously unusable for any kind of farming at all, as they were filled with salt water, filled it with these networks of these dikes, which is a little wooden box with a hollow panel in the middle and this one little wooden flap that they call an aboiteau. And w it would allow salt water to go out of it to wash out of it and then in high tide when the tides were rising the plank would stay down the aboto and it would prevent any water salt water from going back in so it flushed out the bad water kept the fresh water inside and left a bunch of fertile land for them to use and it's actually because of these fertile lands that they had an abundance of food from the years 1650 to 1710 or roughly around there, um, they actually saw a 4.5% population increase annually because of it. Annually? Annually. That's, That's a huge population. Yeah. 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 It was huge here. And because they had so much farming and so much food going on here, the Acadians were able to form an amazing uh, connection with the indigenous people in the area. So the local Mi'kmaq people and the Acadians had a strong uh, trade bond that they sort of formed. So they would trade everything from farmed goods to weaved baskets to metal buttons and things like that. And they just had a really strong connection that eventually helped the Acadians out a lot during the expulsion. Is there any places, do you know, along the river where you can still see examples of the dikes? Well, we actually have one that we made here. Okay. So it's not a genuine dike that they fished out from the, <laughs> from the marshes. 1600s, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we have one that was made, a replica, that we have in our Acadians of Albert County exhibit in the exhibition hall. Okay, now we can move on to the expulsion. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to jump to the expulsion. I wanted to know more about that community that was here yeah. that was then impacted. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you were saying, like that that's a huge... Do we know roughly what the overall number of people were living in? Unfortunately, Abertani? I don't know it off the top of my head, but the, like like I said, and like the dozens numbers clearly take dozens, yeah. hundreds of people were here and were thriving happily thriving. and peacefully with mm -hmm. both uh, the Acadian settlers who had come and made them their land here and the native people who had always called this place their home. Mm -hmm. They were able to live in harmony and in peace and it was a very happy time for them. And, and then the that. English <laughs> arrived. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> uh. So tell, tell us more about because it's actually something that I don't know much about. Um, and my mother-in-law is Acadian, and uh, it's something that she likes to bring up, actually. So tell me more. Well, well you yeah. can point out the fact that you're not English. Nope. <laughs> no, Irish. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't your fault. Wasn't, and I, no, not from here, so it had nothing to do with me. But <laughs> tell us about what happened when the English came. Yeah, so for years, the English were arguing over okay, who actually has this land, who doesn't. Um, I think it was 1735-ish where they had the Treaty of, can't remember the name because it's a really weird and complicated name of the treaty, <laughs> but there's this one treaty made under Queen Anne of England who served during that time. 
um, where they had officially claimed Acadie as English property. And um, the problem with this is no one knew where the boundaries for Acadie was. So the French were like, oh, it's in New Brunswick. And the uh, English were like, oh, it's actually a large portion of Nova Scotia. Um, so they started arguing over this and actually this difference in opinion as well as a few other common denominators led to the uh, expulsion and actually led to the Seven Year War. So oh. the Seven Year War uh, was began in 1756, so a year after the expulsion. And this is when the French and the English went back and forth multiple times having claimed the land as theirs. So if you actually look back at the records, um, it's not funny because it's a war, it's tragic. But um, at the same time, it's almost like two kids fighting over a toy. <laughs> they, as uh, most wars are. As yeah. most wars are. <laughs> they were just going at it over and over again. In one moment it was the French and then the English would take over again and then the French would have it and then the English would have it and the French would have it and over and over and over again. Um, and this was a huge, huge, huge thing for the expulsion. So going back to the Acadian expulsion, uh, sort of what happened with it is it all started with uh, Lieutenant Governor Charles Lawrence. So <laughs> this man, where to even begin? <laughs> I think she has some strong opinions. Uh, she may. I do, she I do, I do. Lawrence. Um, <laughs> What sort of went down was the, the English were worried about the Acadians. There was, like I said, the Seven Year War was going on. There was a lot of high tensions between the French and the English, and they didn't know where the Acadians stood in all of this. So they tried to make them sign a treaty to the king at the time, who was King George II, saying that they would pledge their allegiance to him, or sorry, an oath, not a treaty. They would pledge, pledge their allegiance to him, and if there was a war or something would happen, they'd be on the side of the English. The problem with this was that they didn't specify in the oath that they could keep their Catholic religion, and where the English at the time were very much more leaning towards the Church of England, this was a huge problem for the Acadian, who their religion was very sacred to them. Mm -hmm. So as this kind of made the Acadians like seem a bit like rebellious and resistant, uh, <laughs> Charles Lawrence was very, very paranoid about the Acadians. And then the Battle of Beausejour happened where the Acadians fought against the English a little bit more and took over Fort Beausejour. So when this happened, uh, Char Lieutenant Governor Charles Lawrence officially made the command and asked for the Acadians to be expelled from the region and got approved. <laughs> so the British then went forth and started an expedition where they removed the, any non-compliant Acadians from their homes. They burned down their houses they would force them into boats and would ship them off. Some of them went to France, some of them ended up in Louisiana or New Orleans, and that's why we have the Cajun culture down there, mm -hmm. is because those were the, ca not Catholics, I mean technically Catholics, but um, Acadians that arrived down there. 
and then the um, the rest of them actually, this is where their allyship with the Mi'kmaq and the Malisi people really came in handy, is they would join them and they some of them would flee with them in the woods and they guided them through the woods to safety. So they ended up fleeing to Quebec or Ontario. So you say you say they forced the non-compliant people. How many of them were compliant? Not many. I mean, come on. <laughs> Not many. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. So the Acadians didn't just take this sitting down. There was a number of battles that they tried to do to win their land back and to get the English to leave them alone. Um, one of these battles, there's not a specific name for it, but in September of that year, uh, the British were going around. They had arrived in the village de Blanchard, which is Hillsborough, and were burning down houses again and forcing people out and were about to burn down the church when hope arrived. So uh, when the expulsion started, there was a French military man, uh, military commander Charles Deschamps de Bois-Hébert. Um, he was furious with what was happening. So the moment he found out about the expulsion, he came down to the Pei Kodiak region and did everything he could to help and did so successfully. He led a force of 120 Acadians, Malisi, and Mi'kmaq people that all worked together in sort of a guerrilla style of combat. So what that means is they would use the woods and the land around them to their advantage to get the upper hand on the English. Mm. Um, so they used that to fight back. So that September, as I said, in the village de Blanchard, there was a man named John Idico who was attempting to bring a force of 50 to 60 people that were going to take over the village. Charles Bois-Hébert instead decided, no, we're not going to let them do that. He went forward with his force. They scared the, they scared the people the English like crazy, they retaliated, not retaliated, they fled and went back. Um, the English retaliated then with one of their main commanders whose name was um, Fry. And he tried for three hours <laughs> to fight against Boaheba and his force of people until he called off his people and had everyone pull back. They fled away in the ships and that was one of the first huge victories for the Acadians during that sort of rebellion. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that light, that one huge great moment for them um, wasn't long lived as three years later in 1758, uh, the British commanded the Petticodiac River campaign, which inevitably wiped out any remaining Acadian resistances and villages and was the end of the Acadian legacy that formed in 1655. Two things that I want to touch on. Bois-Hiber yeah. uh, is also now often known to those of us who are more Anglo as Bobear. Oh, Bobear <laughs> Island. Bobear's Island tells oh. his story up there yeah. as well. And it was actually that island acted as a refugee camp for the people that he came down here to help yeah. during that time. Interesting. It's, yeah. That, and the, the story goes that the Scots and the Irish who were in the Miramichi couldn't say Bois Hiber. 
and that's how it came <laughs> to be known as Bo Bear's Island. I could see that. <laughs> yep, I could see that definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's fascinating to hear about the the role that he played here as well mm -hmm. as up there, and it's it's a great kind of compliment if you can make it to both museums yeah. this summer. Yeah. He alone uh, saved 30 Acadian families and was able to salvage fields worth of supplies and crops and things to help keep the Acadians going. And within those three years before the campaign started, he actually helped them rebuild some of their communities before they were inevitably brought back down right, again. Right. But at one point they were they were able to have their homes back if even for just a little bit longer so brooklyn uh how about you tell us if people come to the museum what are they going to see here in uh with regards to the acadian exhibit yeah so our acadians of albert county exhibit is part of our exhibition hall and what we have in there is these three little buildings that each represent a different stage of the acadian history that i just rambled on about <laughs> and uh, so what it talks about in our first little building it looks like a brand new sort of little shed it's got new shingles on it it's fresh wood it's new it's improved it's fantastic and it represents the initial settling of the Acadians here in the region so it talks about Jacques Cartier talks about Pierre Thibodeau it goes on and lists the different names of the 70 Acadian uh, families I mentioned earlier, along with the specific ones that were here in Albert County with us. Um, the middle building, the second one that we have, looks a bit like a weathered barn. It has, it looks like it's been through several rainstorms and has been sitting out in your yard for like at least 10, 15, 50 years. <laughs> um, it's that one building that when you're in Albert County, you see at least 10 of while driving by. Um, so in that building, we talk about the agricultural part of the Acadians and what they did to really establish the farming life here and how they really left their footprint and still continue to leave their footprint here in Albert County. And then the final one, um, which I think is beautiful, uh, looks like a Catholic church because they wanted it to symbolize the Catholic religion of the Acadians, which their loyalty to and them standing so strongly with is what caused them to really put their foot down with the English and is inevitably what led up to the expulsion in the Seven Year War. It's very interesting. It is. It's absolutely fascinating to think of how much you're able to tell in such a small space mm -hmm. and how much story and history you're able to, to come across in the displays that are here for all the different topics that you cover. But I think especially that display with the Acadian families just really opens people's eyes to understand how diverse the history of this province is and how interconnected everyone truly is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that with us today. No problem. It's honestly my pleasure. I love talking about my Acadian roots and just about the Acadian history here in general. So it was amazing. Fabulous. And, and what's it like to work at the museum? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> like, I get to discover new parts of the history here every single day. And I don't think a day goes by that I don't learn something new about the region. So it's just, it's awesome to be here. That's perfect. So before we wrap up the show today, 
What are the hours and uh, like when are you guys open? When can people come visit the museum? Absolutely. So the Albert K Museum is open every day of the week, Monday through Sunday from 930 in the morning to 530 at night. So you can come down anytime, uh, stop in at the little red building at the entrance. That's our library and we'll get you set up for a tour. And for anyone who's not sure where to place that in your head, it's before you get to the Hopewell Rocks. Yes. So it's, it's right on your route to anything else you might already have planned this yeah. summer. Just add on a couple hours to come and hang out here because you are going to love it. I mean, look how beautiful these grounds are. And you must spend a little bit of your summer down here. <laughs> just, just a little bit. <laughs> for all of it.